0: this conference will now be recorded all right welcome good to have you here wherever here may be so we're
1: all in different hears but uh we're all here in our go to meeting space and uh, we're ready to begin according to his promise we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells Therefore beloved since you look for these things be diligent to be found by him in peace spotless and blameless and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me as we get started once again in Proverbs chapter 19. It's been a while since we've been here, so uh we'll need to uh, adjust to having what have been off for 3 weeks now. And uh in any event, good to be back, good to be in the word. In times like these, we need the word of God. So uh
0: thankfully Our Father has provided it. Let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll proceed to our study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your faithfulness,
1: thankful for the blessings we have, thankful for the technology that allows us to come together in a virtual meeting, even if we're not able to come together physically in one location. We uh, ask for your hand of blessing upon our time of study, that you would hedge us about, protect us, that you would um, provide for the technical necessities so as to allow this class to go forth. Thank you for the recordings. Thank you for the uh, for the video, for all that you do, Father. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we are in a Proverbs outline and uh, ready to begin with our next section. If uh,
0: I'll advance the slideshow to see where we are going, assuming that this works. Here we go. Those are too small to see. So we've done a lot already in this chapter. Let's just pick up with uh, what we did a
1: couple weeks ago when we were dealing with verse 16 because there's an expression in verse 16 that talks about guarding the soul shomer mitzvah shomer nefesh the one who guards the commandment guards his soul and uh the seriousness of living the word of god is such that it is spoken of as not just doing what god tells you to do obeying the bible obeying the commandment but it is actually guarding the commandment and the uh the full I think the full impact of the Hebrew verb shamer, to guard, to tend, such as when Adam was commanded to tend the garden, to keep, to keep watch over, to guard. Uh, When uh, the question is asked, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, That's the verb shamer. And that's the verb that's used when Adam is placed in the garden to uh, cultivate it and to shamer, to keep it, to guard it. It's also the verb when the cherubim is posted with a flaming sword. And he's uh, he's posted there to prevent Adam and Eve or any other human that's born in the, the generations that follow. Uh, humanity is denied access to the tree of life. And uh, he's stationed there to guard it, to shamer it. And so really that language should uh, give us a sense of uh, proportion, a sense of urgency, the full recognition that that's the seriousness with which we should be keeping The commandment that we should be guarding the mitzvah and in so doing we are guarding our soul and uh, so we addressed that took a couple classes to address that and then also saw the aspect of despising our ways that we're either guarding or we're despising the poetry doesn't really allow a middle ground it's kind of it's cast in that in that contrast you're keeping your ways or you're guarding your ways or you are despising your ways, and the verb baza, that really speaks to um, regarding something as worthless, valuing something as zero or less than zero, and despising your ways. And uh, the the parallelism is so marvelous. And this is what Hebrew poetry does. It sets the A part in contrast to the B part, and we see all of the the ways in which we want to parallel that. And this is why, um, in fact, I'm going to switch over back to logos here just to show you the uh the parallelism on this because you have the first half with he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul and um what do i want to color that let's just color that green and then the second half he who is careless of his conduct will die i'll give this a different color uh we'll just color it yellow okay so if you're part of our geisler class this green and yellow doesn't mean the same thing that green and yellow usually means in some of my other classes. I'm just putting these colors on here to contrast. So you see the A part and the B part. And uh, what, what Hebrew poetry does is it sets these things in contrast. And sometimes they're synonymous. Sometimes they're antithetical. Sometimes they're, um, that they, they build one to the next in a progressive fashion. There's different ways that the Hebrew poetry will, will uh, communicate. And so uh what we want to do, though, is recognize that the parallels are often um, multiplied in different ways. And so we can tear apart a verse and we can see some different contrasts. So my, maybe we just want to pay attention to the verbs. and We want to look at keeps and we want to see what that's about. And then we want to see about being careless or despising. And uh we will then contrast those verbs. And then we look at the objects of the verbs. And so here the object is the commandment, the mitzvah, and we're going to see how it's parallel with uh, conduct or the ways of life. And we talk about all the different ways that we have, all the different walks of life that we have. And so we have a variety of ways. We have a variety of lives that we live. We have our home life, our work life, our marriage life, our family life, our professional life, our political life and uh, our social life our you know our scrabble life whatever we have that's a that's a life or that's a way or that it's a course of our conduct and in all of these different facets we understand that and so the word of god should be brought to bear to everything that we do we don't separate out bible doctrine and say well that applies to my church life but it's is it somehow irrelevant to my work life, to my family life, to my political life, my public life? So really, wisdom will help to reinforce for us how uh, the word of God is applicable in every facet of our life. And if we ignore the word of God in any facet of our life, that's either carelessness or it's a better way I think would be despising that it really shows that we're despising a facet of our life by not making the word of god the standard by which we uh we live the standard by which we make decisions. So anyway, that that jumps out in a lot of different ways and uh the the, the poetry is just fun. It's fun Hebrew poetry is is fun because it's conceptual and it uh it's not like the English poetry where you're just so fixated on you know a lot of times you just you you're trying to make the, the lines rhyme. And then sometimes in order to make a rhyme, you kinda you're forced to use words you don't want to use, and uh and then maybe you don't communicate what you want to communicate because uh your choice of words is so limited. Hebrew poetry doesn't do that, The, the word choice is rich because the the uh it's not trying to rhyme things, it's trying to show parallels in concepts. And that's what we're looking at here. All right. Well, we dealt with this and uh looked at these verses. And we concluded in our last Wednesday together, this would have been the Wednesday before the Schaefer Conference. So that would have been March 4th. Goodness, that was three weeks ago. Um, guarding the soul should be among our highest priorities. And why is it that we need to guard our soul? Why is it that, um, we have promises, uh, such as in Philippians 4-7 where, uh, we're anxious for nothing, but in everything we're giving thanks. Uh, we're making our request known to God uh, so that uh, the peace of God that surpasseth all understanding can guard, can uh, protect our, our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And um, we need to guard our soul. And we've got all the Proverbs that speak to that. Uh, we see the value of the soul in Matthew sixteen twenty six, when Jesus said, you know, the whole world can't be uh, is if you if you sacrifice your soul to gain even the whole world. That's uh, that's a terrible exchange because the the value of your soul exceeds the the value of this entire world. Um, that's the proportion there. Second Corinthians twelve five is another good reference there, where Paul talks about um, being poured out and sacrificially ministering and serving on behalf of the souls of uh, of his uh, of the believers there in Corinth. Hebrews thirteen seventeen that talks about. Uh, the shepherd and guardian of your souls and that spiritual leaders in a local church, uh they they're accountable and they watch over the souls of their of their flock. That's the Hebrews reference. First Peter 225 talks about Jesus as the, the shepherd and guardian of your soul. So, you know, Jesus has a lot of titles. He's the head of the church. He's the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's the good, great and chief shepherd. All these titles, but to be the uh, shepherd and guardian of your soul that uh, that says a lot, and uh, I don't think Jesus would accept a title that was meaningless. I don't think that he would pursue a a work assignment that was pointless. Uh, there is uh much that that uh, that needs to be done in protecting the believer's soul and this is uh this is what Jesus does okay, so this is where we were and i think now we're we're ready to move on let's look at our next verse and all of this is coming from uh, proverbs nineteen seventeen, and and uh, it focuses on generosity so i'll put this up in a moment let's just read
0: verse 17 before we get lost in the points and we'll see oh and also before i forget If I can remove those annotations, there we go. (laughs) That way
1: I won't confuse them with my usual coloring scheme, whereby green means something and yellow means something else. And it's not applicable there. Okay. Verse 17 now. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed we have a uh, footnote there for good deed. A possible alternate reading then would be benefits. All right. For his benefits. So um, this is what we want to talk about now. Uh, graciousness. We want to talk about the gracious mental attitude. We want to talk about a believer that is generous and generous in spirit, generous in attitude and uh, a believer can have a tremendous sense of generosity that is far out of proportion to the actual dollar value that he maybe uh has the capacity to supply or to give this uh, comes down to an attitudinal uh reality far more so than than the absolute dollar value of of the uh, donations that could be given as we've studied before, in realms of grace giving, in realms of finances, uh, God looks upon the heart. And uh, the widow who gives the, the widow might can can be far more generous than uh, the rich man that's giving uh, with the wrong attitude, who's uh, supplying millions of dollars, but he doesn't have the grace perspective so as to give under biblical principles. And uh, so uh, these are the things that we can deal with here. Okay. So this is the principle. Uh, the verse stands alone. It's not in tandem with the verses surrounding it or the verses in any kind of parallel or context there, uh, in, in which case we still have the A part and the B part. The A part is one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and we want to study that and, and digest the, what's being communicated there. And then the B part is not a synonym, and it's not an antonym. It's not Synonymous, it's not antithetical, but rather it's it's uh, progressive and and it's building from the A to the B, and so the B carries it a step further, shows a consequence, shows an outcome, shows uh, really a greater principle than even the A principle communicates when you have it in this kind of parallelism, and so uh, there is a repayment here, and and that's what we want to understand too. How does God operate in terms of payback? How does God operate when we reap what we sow? Uh, but when grace also does not give us what we've earned or deserved, so sometimes we we have to approach a concept in in, uh, in different ways, and uh, we'll do so here with respect to this verse. All right, go back to our slideshow. We're talking about generosity, and we're talking about generosity in grace. So if you're gracious to the poor man. That means that you have a grace perspective uh, that's shaped by the word of God. And because of that grace attitude that's shaped by the word of God, you have a generous uh, spirit and you have a generous action that is that is then uh, prompted. So uh, we could say generosity is grace in action or it's it's uh, prompted by the grace in your soul. Now, it's more than a transaction between human beings. That's what this verse is telling us. It's more than just one human being looking at another human being and being being gracious towards them or being generous towards them because it actually is a sin issue. It's a grace application as a sin issue. And uh, what do I mean by sin issue? Well, we've covered it before. We actually dealt with this back in Proverbs fourteen twenty one, And this is where it would be useful if uh, we could have this on more than one screen. Maybe I'll just leave it up here.
0: Now, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a second Bible window. And then I'm going to drag it to my other screen <laughs> so I can look at it over here
1: while I leave the, uh, the slideshow up there. How about that? Of course, that doesn't help you guys. You'll have to turn in your own Bibles then, maybe,
0: unless uh, unless I put this other window over here. (laughs) All right. Good thing we're a relaxed congregation. How about that? Are you liking that? We can get rid of the Hebrew and the Greek just for the time being. OK, we may try with this, doing this a little bit. You can see some Bible verses. You can still see the uh a lot of the, the slide there. <laughs> OK, work with me now. Let's see how this works. So more than a transaction between human
1: beings. Yes, that's what's happening in the earthly realm. That's what's happening in the physical universe. So Believer A is being generous, being generous and they're being generous in grace. And so, um, one who is gracious to a poor man. And so, on, in whatever basis, he, uh, he sees that he's hungry and he buys him a meal. Or he sees that, that, uh, he, uh, his shoes are full of holes and says, hey, you need a new pair of shoes. And he, and he buys him a pair of shoes. Or, or it could be anything. And, and whatever it is, doesn't matter. The principle is still the same. That you have a believer that's being gracious. And he's being gracious because his soul is being transformed by the word of God, that uh, the, the word of God is, is transforming how we think because it's transforming who we are. And it's more than just a uh, a transaction between human beings, that there's a spiritual dynamic at work. And that spiritual dynamic, as far as chapter um, 19 is concerned, is called alone. And we're going to get back to that in a moment. But I actually want to cover something else first. Okay, and what I want to cover first is what we've already studied back in chapter 14. So Proverbs 14, 21, you'll see what I'm talking about. He who despises his neighbor sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Now, if you remember this? We we covered this in chapter 14 and whenever that happened, that was some months ago. But uh, in chapter 14, here's the parallelism here. And you understand why this proverb is so uh, related to today's proverb. It's so related to Proverbs 19:17, Because, again, it's talking about graciousness. It's talking about our attitude towards the poor. But it's also phrasing it in a way to make it more than a transaction between human beings. There, it's actually a sin issue. I'm either going to be oriented to the will of God or I'm going to be living in defiance of the will of God. I'm going to be applying doctrine or I'm going to be missing the mark. And if I miss the mark, that means I'm, I've sinned. And so uh, am, I, am I generous towards the poor or am I despising the poor? Am I despising my neighbor? I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I'm going to despise my neighbor. Okay. It's the same despising. I'm pretty sure it's the same despising, by the way, that we were just looking at. Um, yes. It's the same despising we were just talking about with despising your ways. Okay, so he who despises his neighbor's sins, but happy, asherah, happy, blessed, happy. It's like the Beatitudes. Blessed are the uh, the gracious. Happy is he who is gracious to the poor. And so it is a sin issue that impacts personal happiness. Generosity is a sin issue that impacts personal happiness, that if you're not generous, you're not happy. And then get the order right. Some people would say, well, if you're not happy, you're not generous. That's, that's backwards. OK, if you're not uh, generous, if you're not oriented to the grace of God and how you've received it and how you're extending it, if you're not gracious, then why would you expect... The Asherah happiness, the Beatitudes that God provides for believers that are walking in grace, believers that are living the word of God. And so happy is he who is gracious to the poor, because that's a soul that is being shaped by the word of God. And the soul that is shaped by the word of God will be a happy soul. Whether you're talking about Psalms or Proverbs or Jesus in the Beatitudes, uh, when the word of God shapes your soul, there is a personal happiness in the process. It's almost like icing on the cake, okay? So you can have a personal happiness when you're obedient to the word of God. Um, otherwise, you have a, a sin issue. And, uh, what comes with a sin issue is not a personal happiness. It is a conviction. It is a sorrow. It could even be broken bones when it comes to divine discipline, uh, for unconfessed sin. So, if you despise your neighbor, you sin, happy is he who is gracious to the poor. That's the principle that we had there in uh, in chapter fourteen and and so, as a concept now we're, we're we recognize that that generosity and grace is more than a transaction between human beings. There's a dynamic between you and God that, and that underlies the dynamic between you and the human being that's the same thing here in chapter nineteen because it's called a loan. It is a loan between the gracious believer and the God of all grace. It's called a loan, and I want us to understand that because um, we understand that it's this is this is um, not to be taken literally. That this is figurative language, but we do take the the expression literally so that we understand in the figurative language uh, what it is that we're supposed to learn, what it is that we're supposed to come away with. All right. So leaving that in place, maybe dropping it down so I don't block my point there. And let's return back to Proverbs 19.17. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord. That's what it says. So now I want to understand, is that literal? Am I literally you know i i bought a pair of shoes for a poor man and and, and that's a loan to to god how, how does god repay me what what uh, what does he owe me at this point okay and this is where we're going to be careful but we still we can't abandon we can't abandon the language that's used cuz god used this language for a reason okay so here's what i'm talking about lends to the lord lends to the lord now if you loan anything to somebody Let's say you loan. Uh, I loan you my car. Ooh, careful. How, how likely is that to happen? But I loan you my car. And uh, for whatever reason, I hand you the keys. And now you have you have my permission to drive Lydia wherever, wherever you need to go. All right. Now, <laughs> um, why would I do this? I don't know. But you needed to go somewhere and I'm going to loan you my car. Now, in doing that, understand there's expectations, okay? I want Lydia back. You will return the thing that I loaned you, okay? You will return the car you're borrowing. You will return whatever, okay? And so by virtue of the loan carries with it duties, obligations, okay? And this is where we got to be careful because are we really putting God under an obligation? Do we have God's head over a barrel now? I mean, is it? are we putting him over? Let's recognize this. Now, literally, we're not. Literally, obviously, absolute terms, literally, the creator God of the universe doesn't owe us anything. And he never will. But because he chose to use this language in this proverb, he chose to use this language in this in this way in this non-literal way now it's figurative we need to understand the figure for what it is now it may not literally be alone but god considers it a loan he acts as if it is a loan he places himself as it were okay in a figure of speech in a in a metaphor as it were because we've been gracious to the poor One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deeds. So now it's as if it were a loan to the Lord. you understand that? All right. So it's not literally a a loan to the Lord, but it's as if it was, as if it was, that because God is observing our generosity and grace, and that pleases him, God is observing how we are gracious. It's as if we have loaned something to him, and now he he functions as if he was under an obligation. He's going to operate towards us as if we had, you know, loaned Lydia to him, and he wants to take good care of Lydia, and he wants to return Lydia with a full tank of gas, and he wants to return Lydia with a, uh, you know, washed and waxed and in good condition and and so he is going to operate towards us in a manner that would be comparable to somebody who has been loaned something of great worth and he wants to return um the favor in a gracious way so he will repay him for his good deed all right and that's that's how god communicates it in a in a parable or in a in a proverb that's how he communicates it by using the imagery as if um you know we're the loan shark and he's the and he's the desperate person to to repay the loan shark okay maybe loan shark is too harsh but hopefully we're we're understanding the issue here okay and since i silenced all the microphones i haven't heard any amens and i'm hoping this makes sense and since i Killed all your cameras, I can't see any nodding heads i uh, I've probably gone overkill to prove the point now and you you got what I was saying ten minutes ago and i'm, I'm now I'm just uh wasting everybody's time all right let's uh see what first peter five ten has to say that's on the screen for some reason
0: first Peter five ten all right after you have suffered for
1: a little while. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. All right. Well, first of all, if we get nothing else out of this verse, there's the title of the God of all grace. OK, and so uh, we recognize that. But we also recognize that even though he's the God of all grace, uh, he still operates towards us in the process of time, which can include some suffering. It can include some hardship. It can include some, um, some things in the meantime before it finally leads to what he has eternally designed us for with perfection, confirmation, strength, all these things. So after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. So there may be activity in the meantime, but it's leading towards what God ultimately wants okay in any event it is a loan when we are gracious to the poor it is a loan between the gracious believer and the god of all grace what else do we see gracious generosity is a benefit of godly wisdom and it is diametrically opposed to earthly wisdom it needs to be shaped by the word of god is what we're saying it can't just simply be a secular generosity. It can't be a secular kindness. Gracious generosity is a benefit of godly wisdom. And we've seen this again and again. We're going to continue to see this. We saw this in Proverbs 11. We're going to see it again in Proverbs 28. It is emphasized repeatedly in Deuteronomy 15. Um, I'm going to look at all of these here this morning and spend some time really exploring this. It is diametrically opposed to earthly wisdom. Which uh, James three makes that pretty clear, and this is, uh, I think this is uh, an important point to make because if uh, if you encounter unbelievers, uh, if you encounter secular atheists, um, I I know a number of them, and I'm getting to know them more and more, uh, but sometimes they make the case, and sometimes I make I think they make a good case uh, that they're that you don't have to be a believer
0: to be generous. And that's true. You don't have to be a believer to be earthly generous. But if you're not a believer, you can't be
1: heavenly generous. You can't be spiritually generous. You can't be living expressions of the grace of God as an unsaved person or even as a carnal believer. If you're born again and regenerate, but out of fellowship and walking in darkness, you're not going to be spiritually generous either, even if you happen to be. In earthly terms, maybe uh, a nice guy or maybe uh, maybe have an earthly generosity, but it's not a spiritual generosity. I hope we get the difference on that. So let's take a look at some points, because sometimes, you know, and religious people can be. I mean, think about I know some Mormons that are incredibly generous, but it's satanic generosity. It's not. Shaped by the Word of God. It's not shaped by Jesus Christ. It's not empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's not led by Jesus Christ. It's not pleasing to God the Father. They're serving. They're serving Satan. Same thing with uh, gracious uh, Muslims, and they um, they've got their own system of generosity that they're commanded to do in uh, in uh, Quran, Quranic law. And uh, so maybe they they've got a uh, a Muslim generosity. Okay, it's not true, biblical, spiritual generosity, because this is a benefit. Now, I'm going to here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move my Bible up here now.
0: See what I'm doing? That way you can still see the lower part of the screen there. All right.
1: Gracious generosity is a benefit of godly wisdom to be shaped by the word of God.
0: And now you'll see what I'm talking about when we turn to these other verses. Proverbs 11:24 24 and uh, 24 and 25. Let's see if there's a larger context we need to look at. A lot of times when I'm standing in the
1: pulpit and I'm reading a paper Bible, when I flip to the verse, it's much easier to see that there is a uh, larger context. I want to, I want to emphasize, not quite so easy to spot in this kind of arrangement. But let's just go with this. All right. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. And this is this is beautiful. We, I remember teaching this, and and I love this. Because this means we have to have a biblical perspective of generosity and grace. That means we need to have divine viewpoint with respect to uh sowing and scattering and, and so forth. That um in, in God's ledger that uh you, you can give and be richer for it. In uh in in earthly terms, if you the more you give, the less you have. And so, you know, because I have a, I have a finite amount of of dollars in my wallet and I can pull out my physical wallet and I can pull out the physical dollars. Okay. Physical dollars in my physical wallet. And if I pull out physical dollars and, uh, and I start handing it out, okay, just enough hand movement for people. All right. When I start handing out the dollars, well, the more I hand out, literally, the less I have, okay. Because that's that's how the physical universe works. That's how earth operates. That's, that's, uh, that's not how God operates, okay? In the spiritual dimension, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. This is perfectly in agreement with Second Corinthians chapter 9, when uh, if you sow bountifully, you can reap bountifully. If you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. We've taught these principles on grace giving before. We know how it works. Who scatters yet increases all the more. Now, who do you think this is? There is one who does this. Who do you think this is? Okay. Well, this is God who does this, but yet this is also us who does this. Because we're functioning within God's design. And we are functioning within the parameters of how God operates. And we're allowing the word of God to shape our thinking. And as the word of God shapes our thinking, our expression of that in this world is uh, is a reflection of uh, of what God is doing. and so the increase is is assigned the increase is there because we're loaning to the lord and god repays so uh, there is an increase and then there is one who withholds what is justly due here's the scrooge here's the ebenezer scrooge here's the miser and he's not scattering and he's not spreading it out and he's not generous and he's withholding and yet it results only in want so he's destroyed his capacity of enjoyment. He's destroyed his capacity to uh, to appreciate real wealth, the real wealth in the, in the will of God. And so this, uh, yeah, I think it says a lot right there. So, and then verse 25, the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. And so the more generous you are, the more prosperous you are. And the more that you water, the more watered you become and this is this is the benefit of wisdom this is the benefit of wisdom verse uh yeah 24 and 25 there of uh of proverbs 11 let's look ahead to proverbs 28 and uh i can already see if we do this for three weeks or however long we do this however long this quarantine lasts um my flock will get lazy and you'll look, you'll forget how to flip pages, and you'll just sit there watching the screen while I put Bible verses up there for you. All right. Twenty-eight eight, Proverbs twenty-eight eight. He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. And oh, I can't wait to get to this. So we've we've taught this in the past in different contexts. I think we we hit this in the Life of Christ series years ago. Um, I don't remember other applications where we've we've reached this verse. This is this is a marvelous principle. Uh, But he who increases his wealth by interest and usury, that's not gracious generosity. Uh, It's not gracious generosity. If you're making a loan to somebody hoping to profit by it, if uh, if, uh, like I say, that's the loan shark mentality. If, uh, you know, somebody needs one hundred dollars and you're willing to loan them one hundred dollars. But you're going to get uh, you're going to get two hundred dollars back in uh, in two weeks. You know, what is that? That's that's one hundred percent interest compounded you know, weekly. What are you doing? Um, that's not gracious generosity. OK, so uh, if that's what you're doing, that's the sin of usury. And that is a sin. And that's wrong. And it took um, the church. Actually, the, the rabbis debated this because Mosaic law did not allow them to charge interest to their fellow Jews. They could charge interest to the Gentiles all day long, and so uh Jewish bankers could get quite wealthy, and they did uh they got very wealthy with uh, business loans to uh to Gentiles, but they could not uh, charge loan to their to their fellow Jews. they couldn't charge interest and uh usury was a sin uh, whereby it was exorbitant interest and it was it was wrong and it was painful um, the The nature of usury is a sin we've studied before. Uh But in the um, in the Middle Ages, Augustine and Aquinas and other Christian thinkers had to evaluate the nature of um, capitalism and the nature of loans and the nature of is it wrong? Because Jesus said, you know, you could have put my money in a bank and at least received interest. And, and Jesus spoke of that as a good thing. And uh, so there's a place for that. There is a legitimate place for that. That's not the illegitimate application of usury. And so in the Middle Ages, the, uh, the uh, nature of this became clear and how uh, believers could defer their gratification and invest in one another and engage in a common effort by pooling their capital. And that was actually a uh, uh, divinely sanctioned. It was in Scripture as being appropriate and not, uh, not uh, wrong in any respect. That's a different different lesson. I won't get lost on that today. Um, but in so doing, so let's just take a look at this again. He who interests his wealth increases his wealth by interest and in usury. So we have somebody that's not in the will of God who is making financial uh, things uh, decisions out of the will of God. And it says he gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. And God, who is the ultimate wealth redistributor. God is the, is, uh, it's his business because he owns everything anyway. And so in his universe, when he chooses to reassign certain things, um, he does so sovereignly in a marvelous way and that some people are filthy rich and, uh, but God is able to reassign the benefits of that to where it needs to be in his grace plan. So he gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor and, uh, uh, this is uh, it's, it's a neat application when God does this when, you know, Gary Williams used to talk about how he would have he would pick up contracts, he would do carpentry work, he would, he would make money being paid by these filthy rich people that were just uh, had more money than sense. And they would just throw money at him to do this and do that. And, and uh, but he's, he felt like, hey, this is God's grace provision. And uh, the the man's willing to pay for this kind of service. He was willing to do the work. And, uh, and it just, you know, Gary had to wonder if God allows these unbelievers to get so filthy rich so that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, believers in grace can benefit from, uh, from such a thing. And that's what this verse talks about. He gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. Okay. We also have, uh, also in Proverbs 28, if we scroll down to verse 27. He who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. So this is again, a benefit of godly wisdom that you will have uh, you will have a perspective. It shapes how you think. that Godly wisdom uh, provides a benefit to you, and the benefit to you is the relaxed mental attitude towards uh, want, towards what is want and what is sufficiency. And so because you're gracious and you're generous. You have a a perspective that does not suffer need, does not suffer want. And yet, if you're not gracious, if the word of God is not shaping your thinking, if you shut your eyes, like First John says, if you close your heart to your brother, um, then uh, you have many curses that there will be divine discipline upon you for that attitudinal problem that needs to be adjusted. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 14 This was um, an exhortation that uh, Israel should remember that they used to be slaves, that they were brought out of bondage, that, um, you know, uh, are you arrogant towards a poor man? Who do you think you are? (laughs) You know, why do you think you're not the the poor man? Uh, You you could be and maybe you will be. Uh, Maybe a change of circumstances is on the way next week and you're going to be the vagrant living under the bridge um understand uh in the grace of god that what you are is by his grace what you have is by his grace what you do is by his grace and uh, we should be gracious towards uh towards one another particularly within the local church so if there's a poor man with you one of your brothers in any of your towns in your land which the lord your god is giving you you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother because the real issue is whether the you know Jesus said the poor you will have with you always you're not going to solve poverty um, and, and and this war on poverty like we're going to have a world with no poor people when you know and what color will be the sky in that world you know in this in this uh, make believe world you think we're headed towards the uh, um, the real issue is not whether there's poor people or rich people the real issue is have you hardened your heart <laughs> are you living the word of God are you uh, humble before God is the word of God shaping your thinking? So it says, You shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. Give him an abundance. Give him a, a big enough, you know, don't just string him along with little nickel and dime stuff, but load him up, get him uh, get him in a solid position. Maybe give him more than he wants, more than he needs. Get him on solid ground so he can advance. And then uh then see what happens after that. And beware that there be no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near. You know, because, you know, um, that's a base thought thinking that uh, this loan won't get repaid because in the sabbatical year they'd be forgiven. And then your eye would be hostile towards your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you. It'll be a sin in you. You're to be just as gracious in year six as you are in year one or uh, any of the other years that lead up to the, uh, to the seventh year or the Jubilee year and the 50th year, because you get back-to-back uh, forgiveness in year 49 and year 50. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, in all your undertakings. That God is waiting to bless you for being generous. Remember, it's a loan between you and God. God will bless you. The poor will never cease to be in the land. How about that? I think Jesus read his Bible when he said, "The poor you will have with you always." The poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, "You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land." And it doesn't matter. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. It has all these abundant resources. It has. It's rich in resources. It's rich in Wisdom and, and, um, you know, you got to land with, with uh, marvelous believers, believers like Boaz and has a marvelous work ethic and a marvelous generosity to tremendous, uh, application. But famine can still hit it and there's still going to be poor people and you're still going to have sluggards and you're still going to have lazy people that don't uh, apply the word of God. The poor will never cease to be in the land. I don't care how rich it is. Uh, We could be the United States of America, the richest land to ever, ever live in human history. And we'll still have poor people and we'll still have uh, diseases that come and go. We're still going to have weather related disasters and other things are going to happen. There will always be want. There will always be need. And it's only a satanic lie that says uh, that we can through communism, we can build a uh, a world without any want, without any need, the whole thing, the the fundamental lies behind communism, uh the the writings of Marx and Engels and all this stuff is just satanic lies against the word of God. The poor will never cease to be in the land. You know what? There can be poor people in the millennium. How about that? <coughs> all right. <coughs> uh anyway, it's close down to verse 14. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years. But in the seventh year, you shall set him free. They didn't have lifelong generational uh, slavery amongst themselves. They were to set any Jewish uh, slave free in the seventh year. And you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally. This is not 40 acres and a mule. This is liberally. This is your brother, and you're going to get him on his feet with a nest egg for the rest of his life. Furnish him liberally from your flock from your threshing floor from your wine vat you shall give to him as the lord your god has blessed you and that's the principle there all right how are we doing on time we got 10 minutes left
0: Uh, isaiah 58 7 through 12 this is a big difference between sitting live in church you know when the the pastor's preaching and
1: you're sitting there and he's looking at you and you're looking at him and you try to surreptitiously uh, glance down at your watch or look back over your shoulder at the clock and you don't want the pastor to catch you looking. But uh, I don't know. You you could have turned off the audio 20 minutes ago and gone and refilled your coffee and you're sitting there playing uh, Angry Birds or something. All I can do is take up by faith that 22 people are still logged in and uh, listening to what we're doing here. Okay. Isaiah 58, 7. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? There's a context that leads up to this, but um all these rhetorical questions about what God's doing. Let me back up a little bit here. Um. yeah why do we have a fast why do we have a fast and why do we have a feast and why do we have worship for the Lord and um, you can grumble about fasting and God's not seeing and God's not repaying but God sees he's the God who sees in secret all right is this not the fast which I choose to loosen the bonds of wickedness okay anyway uh, God can, uh, give us the real principles for fasting. And uh, maybe you want to fast so that you can get your prayer life on track. You can be, uh, spiritual before the Lord and, and, uh, you know, you can be more gracious towards the poor because you're not eating anyway. Might as well give him your bread and, uh, bring the homeless poor into the house. When you see the naked, cover him and, uh, do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then, uh, your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily bring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So he's got your back. Don't worry about it. He's got your back. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. You know, how many people point fingers when they say, well, it's your fault that you're poor. I'm not going to feed you. You're getting what you got coming to Anyway, the pointing of finger in the speaking of wickedness. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a well-watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. You want to to get a name like that? How awesome would that be? You will be called the repairer of the breach. (laughs) Because I tell you, you were the man of the hour. You were the believer of the moment. that You stood in the gap. And you saw the need and your graciousness sprang forth and uh what a and what a joy to be a tool in god's hands in a moment such as that what a blessing it's a benefit of godly wisdom matthew 25 34 then the king will say to those on his right this is the sheep and goat judgment i'm running out of time but in the tribulation believers are going to have to be very generous they're going to have to be uh to looking out for one another because, you know, the mark of the beast is, is controlling things and people won't be able to buy and sell and there's going to be great hunger and,
0: and and
1: deprivation. So the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. We're familiar with this passage, I hope. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? See, because it's more than a transaction between human beings. This is a service before the Lord. You're lending to the Lord. It's in the spiritual realm. And the king answered and said to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So when you're gracious to your brother, remember you're serving the Lord. You're gracious to Jesus. And it's diametrically opposed to earthly wisdom, James 3:14 through 16. Earthly wisdom, the way this world operates. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, that's the antithesis of generosity, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Do not be arrogant so lie against the truth. The wis- this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. If you're listening to the world's wisdom, there is no generosity in grace. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. That's the generosity in grace we're talking about. Unwavering without hypocrisy. It is an expression of God's grace. It's a benefit of godly wisdom. A benefit of godly wisdom. Okay, well, that's uh, that's Proverbs 19.17. And that's point 11. When we get to, uh, <laughs> we'll save that for next week.
0: How about that? All right, so uh, let me get my other slide back up here now. What have we covered today? kind of refreshed our
1: memory on verse 16 from three weeks ago and then we moved on to verse 17 spent most of this hour on verse 17 next week when we come back lord willing rapture pending we'll move on to verse 18 discipline your son while there is hope (laughs) and if you think there's no more hope think again is he still alive there's hope discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death Okay. you ever reach a point in. uh, (laughs) Oh, I can't see you. I can't see the laughing. I don't know.
0: But, yeah, I mean,
1: you discipline and you wonder. Yeah. And under Mosaic law, when there is no hope, I mean, you can reach a point when they won't listen to discipline. And you take the, uh, the youth to the city gates and you tell you you bring them before the clan and before the tribe. And say this, this child is, is rebellion. He's against a parental authority. He's living in defiance of the word of God. And the city elders, I mean, they will stone that child. That's the, that's the ultimate discipline on, uh, on the, uh, the uh, re- rebellious youth of the land. But don't desire that. Don't desire his death. Never, never stop praying. Never stop hoping. Never stop your uh, ministry to your child. It's going to be discipline. It's going to be disciplined. So we'll pick up on this next week, Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your truth. We pray that this message goes forth and accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. We claim the promise that it will. It's uh, The word of God is alive and powerful, and it accomplishes everything you design it for.
0: We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.